0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now.
1: Church, this week I read a story that I found very interesting. It's a story of a small boy. Maybe you can relate. He was consistently late coming home from school. Every day, every day, every day. So his parents warned him one day that he needed to be home on time that afternoon. No ends, ifs, or buts. You need to be here. But nevertheless, he arrived actually later than he was supposed to, than he had ever before. And so his mom met, meets him at the door, and she said nothing. At dinner that night, the boy looked at his plate, and there was just a slice of bread and a glass of water. He didn't quite understand. He looked at his father's full plate. Trying to get his father's attention, he looked at his father, but his father remained silent. The little boy, understanding what had happened, he'd messed up and he messed up and he messed up, but he stood there and he was just crushed. He was crushed. And the father waited until the full impact to sink in, and then quietly he took the boy's plate and placed it in front of himself. He took his own plate of meat and potatoes and he placed it in front of the boy, and he smiled at his son. When the boy grew to be a man, the story goes, he said, quote, all my life I've known what God is like by what my father did that night, end quote. I think about this story and I think that's exactly what Jesus did. My mess ups, my constantly being late, my disobedience. And I think, I think when you hear the gospel, or you hear a story like this, you're like, yeah, I, I, I think I can feel the weight of that. And I know some people are thinking, Ben, I'm not sure what this what this story has to do with, with John this morning. I'm, I'm not really sure, but listen, I, I believe it really illustrates the significance of the death and burial of Jesus. You see, in two weeks, we'll talk about the resurrection and all that it means to us and in, in, in the power that we have with the resurrection, but what is the significance of the death? For we discovered, guys, last week, the burial of Jesus and really how it affected two men. Of course, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, But today I want to focus on and I want to learn the significance of of what it means to our lives. It's one thing for us to go, yeah, Joseph, right? He was he was the disciple, but he was all afraid and he was scared. I'm not as scared of anybody, or we'll think Nicodemus and Nicodemus has this. But 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 what about us? What about us in, in, in 2019? What about us with all our problems, with all our issues, with everything that's going on out there? How does the how does the death burial because here's what we do, guys, here's what we do. We come, we come into the word of God and we we'll hear the same story every Easter, every Easter, death, burial, resurrection, and sometimes we just get dull to it. Yeah, amen. Praise God. And we go on our way, but it doesn't impact us anymore. It doesn't impact us anymore. Well, today we're going to learn the significance for our lives as Jesus is buried and he's going to be waiting his glorious resurrection. Now, Now, listen closely, okay? When we study the crucifixion of Jesus, it's also important to understand the Jewish burial process. And that we would been, we would have been, it would have been involved in burying him. It's also important to understand what Jesus would have had to overcome, guys. Aside from death and his coming back to life. So what we want to do is we want to go back a moment. I want you to feel the weight of all that's happening. Well, Ben, you keep mentioning it. I want you to feel the weight of it, okay? And you go, okay, okay, I'm with you. I got my seatbelt on. Here we go. Remember that Jesus, guys, think about this. Had just died. This excruciating painful death on a Roman cross. Now, right before that, I think about that. Right before he died, Jesus, guys, was scourged, if you will. He was whipped to about an inch of his life. They took a Roman cat of nine tails, they tied him to a post, and they beat my Jesus till there was nothing left. His flesh was shredded. It was ripped to shreds. It was pulling muscle in and and, and all of that coming off. And if that wasn't enough, he lived. He lived. And so they put a robe on him. They brought him out. Pilate brings him out of the praetorium. And what happens, guys? Do you remember? They come out of the praetorium. and, And Pilate pronounces him not guilty. That should have been it. That should have been it. Both Mary should have taken him home, bandaged up the wounds, and and Jesus would have continued in ministry, but that's not enough. What does the crowd do? The crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him. Think about it today. It's kill him, kill him, kill
0: him, kill him.
1: And from there, guys, if you recall, he carried a wooden crossbeam to the place where he would be executed. Think about this. Oftentimes, we'll wear a cross, right? Signifying our religious beliefs. And we, we, we have a cross, and there's pretty crosses out there. Some are gold, some are silver. But a lot of people say, well, what would be the equivalent today? And so, well, it would be the electric chair. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because the Romans designed that cross for you to be on it and die a painful, excruciating death over a, a, a length of time. It could be a day or two. With an, with, with a, with an electric chair, bzz, done. With a lethal injection, it would be I don't know what it would be to compare what Jesus went through. And then keep this in mind, guys. Write this down somewhere. The way Jesus died. What do you mean? Guys, he died of a broken heart. A literal broken heart. For you see, they would take both arms and they would stretch them as far apart as they could. And then, listen, they would nail the wrists... You go, I've thought i seen pictures of the hand. They wouldn't nail the hands, guys, because there was no bone to, to keep the flesh in place. And so if they nailed the hands, it would just rip right off. It would just go right through here as he tried to pull. So was the wrists. They got it right in there. And to make executions take longer, the Romans nailed a small platform to the foot of the cross where the criminal's feet were nailed. This would allow the victim to push upwards enough to get a breath of air for one reason and one reason only, to starve off suffocation. So now you've got him stretched out, okay? Why is it important to stretch? Because if his arms, then he could kind of pull up, but it's stretched, it's hard to pull up. And that's the only way he wouldn't die is if he pushed with all of his might, took a breath, and then stumped back down. And you're just going, wow, wow. The nail driven in his feet was for a purpose to keep him from moving. He would pull up to get air, and when he pulled up to get air, guess what was happening on the inside? His lungs and his heart began to fill with blood and water, okay? Slowly, Every, a little bit would go in, a little bit would go in. And from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus would hang on a cross. This final crushing would be around 3 p.m. Guess what happened? Around 3 p.m., we remember the world, here's the thing, guys, if we recall, the whole world went dark. Right? There was a huge earthquake. We know the temple veil tore in two from top to bottom, but do you realize that the graves were opened and people were resurrected at that point? We forget to say that. Now, I want you to picture this, okay? Because in our day and day, we think of graves as one, 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 and it's a graveyard, and, and we think they opened up and people come out of the graves. They were in, actually in caves. And the cave in the mountain like split in two. And you can see, and people were coming out. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Not only is it dark, not only did you hear the temple veil, I mean, what? That's only the holy of holies. What are you talking about, the temple veil from top to bottom? No way. Wait, there's an earthquake. There's, whoa, 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 whoa. I, we've never felt this. That's grandma. You know what I mean? Grandma's here. Wait, she died two years ago. What? Who is this Jesus? And that's all going on, guys, is, as he's dying. Now, to hasten the death of the prisoners guess what they would do? They would often break their legs, right? Why? Then if their legs were broken, they had no strength to pull up, so they would suffocate just in minutes. Well, when they came to Jesus, they realized he had died. So what did they do? They took the spear and they stabbed him, okay? I want you to know that Jesus was probably about two feet off the ground. It wasn't very high because they wanted to see what the crime was and, all, and so forth, and it was just real simple right here, right here. So they pierced his side, and blood and water. Why did blood and water flow? Because remember, when his heart exploded, both the water and the blood fell into his cavity, <sighs> and Jesus died. See, John doesn't. John doesn't spend a whole lot of time giving us the details. He doesn't want to really focus in on that because it's 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 painful to even hear. It's painful to write. Our Jesus did not do anything wrong. We killed him. So now, so now the burial of Jesus. Okay, we know he's dead, and last week we learned. In that first century, if you recall, guys, the practice of burying multiple bodies is common in a common tomb or a grave. And it was giving way to the practice of placing the body in a hewn-out crypt or chiseled. You guys remember we talked about it, okay? Here's what we did. What we would do is we would take the body down, we would we would normally spend some time with spices embalming balming it, putting it in but remember it's the Sabbath day, so they gotta hurry. You gotta hurry three to six take the body down, wrap it as best they could, and then put it in the tomb, okay? Their plans were to come back on Sunday morning and finish preparing the body. They were not looking to Jesus to be resurrected. They were just going to come and go, man, we need to finish this because here's what they would do. When they rolled away the stone, when they rolled a stone on it, they would leave that body in for a whole year, a year plus, right? And about a year, they go, oh, time's up. They go open it up and they'd see the bones there because it had decomposed. And then they would take the bones and bury them somewhere else. That way they could use the, the tomb or the cave multiple times, the family and so forth. And so that's kind of what's that's kind of you know, what's going on. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, why why the cave? Why a tomb? Wouldn't they wouldn't they embalm Jesus like the Egyptians? I know the Egyptians bomb people, right? They they have that. Well, the Jewish people, guys, don't embalm bodies of their dead. Okay? but they allow them to return to the earth, it may be for this reason that the Bible and the Jewish tradition holds that the dead are to be buried on the same day that they have died in order to, be avoid, to avoid defiling the land God has given them. So if you were Jewish and you died at 10 o'clock, you would be in the cave that day. They didn't waste time calling family and friends. They were not going, hey, guess what? It was done. Now, the reason why, and you can jot this down probably, is Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22 to 23. Let me go ahead and read it for you. Deuteronomy 21, 22 to 23. It says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, that wasn't Jesus. Who was that? That was us. He took our place. Okay? We had the bread and the water. Guess what? And he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, for he who is hanged on a tree is a, is basically accursed of God. Now, number one, think about this. The responsibility of properly burying the dead typically fell to the relatives. But by Jewish tradition, it was also considered a civic duty and it was actually, what, responsibility was even observed for criminals, right? Because it was the, if, if, if you had no relatives to do this, then it was like, oh, but this is, this is our Jewish brother, and this is what the law prohibited, so let's take him down, and we don't even know who he is, but let's do that. This is their mindset, okay? The deceased person at that point would be cleaned with water and wrapped what they call in a burial shroud. It's usually made of linen, and the body was basically wrapped... It wasn't uncommon to anoint it with aromic herbs and spices. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what some of those, some of those caves and burial sites smelled like if, if the tombs were open? In biblical times, given the climate, guys, of, of Israel, the Holy Land, bodily decay would happen quite rapidly. So that's what's going on, okay? Now, before we examine the burial of Jesus, let's take a look at our text this morning. Guys, John chapter 19, 38 through 42. We talked about it last week, but let's talk about it just a little bit more. Let me kind of remind you. It says in verse 38, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, why? For the fear of the Jews, he came to Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came, he took the body of Jesus and Nicodemus who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes. Now you guys understand, okay? You go, oh, that's what that's for. Okay, about a 100 pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it up with strips of linen and spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. That's what John says. Now, who are these players? Well, we know Joseph of Arimathea. He is a disciple of the Lord, yet fear kept him for all that God had for him. Okay, it doesn't say he was just a believer, it didn't say he was somebody who was, he was a disciple. He was a disciple. Whoa, 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 he was one of the 12. No, no, no. Remember that God, that Jesus picked 12 disciples. 11 of them are there because Judas went out and hung himself. These are also known as apostles, but Jesus had many disciples. You're his disciple. Or really, that's the key. We should move from just being a believer to being a disciple, one that's disciplined, one that follows God, one that obeys God. And that's what, that's, that's what Joseph of Arimathea was. And you go, well, Ben, where was Arimathea? It's about 20 miles northwest of Jerusalem, a town called Arimathea. Now, what we know is Joseph suffered from something called Judaophobia, Judaophobia. You go, Ben, is that real? I don't know, but it's basically fear of the Jews. Fear of the religious establishment, fear of being kicked out of church, fear of being kicked out of our religion, that's what he was afraid of. And then we ran into Nick. You guys remember Nick? Nick came to Jesus by night in John chapter 3. The Bible says he was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. You go, Whoa, wait, 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 stop, Ben. He was a Pharisee? Yeah. Remember the Pharisees were a group of Jews who meticulously in keeping the law often opposed Jesus throughout his ministry. The Pharisees were the ones, that guys, that would say, do as I say, not as I do. Do as I say, right? And they were always going, did you hear about this Jesus? I can't believe it. What's he doing? Well, he's out healing people. Man, he, somebody said he fed 5,000 with just, with just a happy meal for McDonald's. Oh, it was just a couple of loaves and some fish. <coughs> Joseph, guys, of Arimathea and Nicodemus were a lot like Paul. What do you mean? They were Pharisees of a Pharisee, member of the Sanhedrin, and both men. Now, I want you to hear this, okay? I want you to hear this. Both of these men had power. They were influential in the community. They had wealth. Listen to this. They were willing to lose all of that for the purpose of a real relationship with Jesus. Now, I would say an eternal life, but we all have eternal life, don't we? But where you spend eternal life is dependent on your belief in who God is, or if you even believe in God. Guys, they had money, power, and influence, and none of that, none of that meant anything compared to a real relationship with Jesus. Doesn't that tell you something? And yet, in our day and age, guys, in our day and age, we have so many people that are, that are stranded and struggled and in bondage to, to wealth. Oh, if I can just make a little bit more money. Or they're in bondage to, to influence, boy, I want to have that power. I want to influence, and I'll do whatever it takes. And we miss that, that a real relationship with Jesus is the best there is. We miss it. And somehow we get sidetracked. We get sidetracked with even just trying to make a living. I'm going to make a, I got to make a living. I got to make 25 cents more an hour. I got to make 50 cents more an hour. Don't you understand? I want to have those nice things. And it's like, but, but what's more important is that you need to understand this is not all there is. There is an eternity. It was Francis Chan who posted a video of a rope illustration. And he says, this much of the rope is your life, but the rope that follows is eternity. And we're putting everything we have into this much of the rope. And we forget that that's going to be eternity. Well, pastors don't want to talk about that. We want to give you the rah-rah. We want to give you the amen. We want to get you, and get you out of here. We want to inspire you and, and motivate you. But, but I think, God, ah, I'm going to spend eternity and, and I want to do that. I want to be like these guys. Why? Here it is. Jot this down, guys. Nothing in this world compares to Jesus. Nothing in this world compares to Jesus. Pastor Ben, I have a question. Does that mean I can't have anything in this world? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is nothing compares to Jesus. Well, Pastor Ben, I have a lot of possessions. Amen. As long as you're not, as those possessions don't have you. Well, how do I know? Can you get rid of them? Can you give them away right now? Somebody came and asked for your big TV, would you give it away? Whoa! hey, hey, listen, I'm ready to give a TV, but it's going to be the 27-inch the one. Yeah. All right, don't look at me that way. I'm the same way. I mean, I work hard for my stuff, and I'm like, what? Lord, do you want me to give away that TV? Do you want me to give away that couch? you want me to give away that? I'm sorry, Lord, I lost you. <laughs> Dropped call. 18-T. Sorry. No, don't say TT. t Anyways. Nothing in this world compares to Jesus. Verse 41 tells us, Now the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden there was a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Makes sense, doesn't it, church? Why? Because it's time for the Passover. This is as close as... I mean, okay, Joseph, I've got a tomb. It's just right there. Okay, we've got to hurry. We've got to hurry. We can come back on Sunday morning... Once the Sabbath is over, we can come back, and then we can finish. We can finish. But we know that it's a garden, right? It's a garden. And excavations indicate that this tomb was originally located in a garden, and a large cistern and wine press was found nearby. And guess what? In order to have a garden, listen to me, you would need a large amount of water to water your garden, right, Joe? He, that's what We were just talking about that. It was a garden and a vineyard, and, and you got to have that to have the kind of green grass that Joe has, to kind of have the onions that Joe has. I mean, if you ever been to a house, he's got a good garden, but he pays for the water. Don't you wish you had a cistern? And don't you waste it. <laughs> but that's exactly what's going on, and guess what? When we were in Israel, I actually got to look down into the cistern. There was a garden. There was a garden. There was a garden. We know that Jesus' body was laid in there. We know that the garden would be located outside the city walls. And we know that a great stone would roll across this entrance. That's what John tells us. Boom. Okay? Because now we jump into chapter 20, which is the resurrection, but we go, man, we're not going there. No, no. So so let's say bye to John for a moment, and let's let's see what Matthew says about that. So, so say goodbye to John for a second. Go to Matthew 27, and we're going to see his account and see if it's a little bit different, see if we can pick up a few things that are different. Picking it up in verse 57. Matthew 27, verse 57 says this, now when evening had come, so right off the bat, we know it's late, okay? We know that the Sabbath starts at six, it's getting late, right? It's late, got to get on home, right? So there was a rich man, so we know that Joseph was rich from Arimathea, who himself also had become a disciple of Jesus. Don't you love that? You go, why? Two different accounts. But Matthew doesn't say that he was a disciple, but secretly afraid of the Jews. John says it. We have those friends, don't we? We have those friends that'll tell you <laughs> why did you have to write that? You know, I mean, if I'm Joseph and I'm in heaven, I'd be going, John, seriously? Did you have to say that? Matthew didn't say it? Matthew, come here. Why didn't you? I mean, come on. Right? I was only scared for a minute, like just a minute. I was just just I just went through this weird thing and I was. But Matthew doesn't say that. He said he was rich. And it says that this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. Now look at verse 61. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite of the tomb. Now, John doesn't tell us about Mary and Mary, but Matthew does. Now, the only thing that is different from John is that Matthew tells us that it was getting close to the Sabbath, which is the evening, and we also learned that Mary Magdalene, do you guys remember her? She was the one who loved Jesus, okay? Seven demons were cast out of her, and she loved Jesus. Now, here's what I would say about Mary. I want to be a Mary Magdalene. You go, what do you mean? She loved Jesus, and she wanted everybody else to love Jesus. That's our goal, okay? Can we do that? Can we go, man, listen, that's my goal. I want people to know, man, you're in love with Jesus. When you're in love with somebody, that's all you talk about. That's all you talk about. Oh, oh, my Jesus. You should see what Jesus said to me. Oh, it's okay. But I want you to know Jesus. I want you to love him. That's Mary, okay? Mary Magdalene, that's one thing. But it also says who? It also said there was another Mary. Okay, We assume in context it was Mary, the mother of James, and and, and Josie's back in verse 56. That's kind of how I, I looked at it, and that's kind of how everybody pointed to that Mary. What are they? Well, they're waiting in front of the tomb. Now, evidently, this means that they didn't help with the burial, but they did watch and pay careful attention as the work was being done and saw exactly how the body was laying in the tomb. Why? They had planned at a later time to visit the tomb. As proof of their love for Jesus, they had hoped to further apply the spices and the ointment that Joseph and Nicodemus has brought. I just love women. I love sisters in the church. Why? They are the get-it-done people. They really are. And man, it's just like they're here and they're going, okay, we don't necessarily need to help because Jesus' body was heavy, but we're going to come back and we're going to make sure that was done properly that was done properly. And thumbs up to you women who served like that. And you have the mindset, you know, because if it was up to us guys, I don't know what our houses would look like. No, you're going to leave it like that. Well, I thought that was fine. No, oh, no, no, let's do it properly. Thank you women for doing that. Now, let's chat for just a moment, okay, about the burial. According to Matthew, Jesus laid in a new tomb Looks like they put the spices on him and wrapped him in linen. Some commentators say swaddling clothes. Isn't that amazing? Because you remember when he was born? What was he wrapped in? Yeah. Yeah. And then there was a seal in the tomb with a very large stone. Now, let's labor. Here's what I want you to do. Labor. Stay with me, guys. Let's examine Jesus' burial, okay? Jesus was crucified, now remember, as a common criminal. To the Romans, he wasn't anybody, to the Romans, he was just another criminal. I don't care what you did. Crucify him. I don't care. Typically, the Romans would often deny the families of criminals to bury their dead. Okay? Allowing them to decompose for several days on the cross. They would do that. Can you imagine? Why? They wanted to be they wanted to show an example. If you mess with Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, the reason it was the Sabbath, right? And it was the high Sabbath, so they wanted to get them off the cross. Right away, but on normal circumstances, you'd be walking by going, Whoa, All right? What is that? And you could see them and the birds, and the it was horrible. Not only that, but it was a terrible insult to the Jews as well. Why? The defilement of them. Don't mess with Rome. Not only were they considered unclean from handling a dead body, but it was the one that was rotten that made the defilement even worse. Well, Jesus is in the tomb. Okay, keep your mind, he's in the tomb. Now, note with me the next day, still in Matthew chapter 27, 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive. Now, listen to me, guys, how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go make, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting a guard. Okay. Interesting. I don't know if you caught it. Okay. Interesting. You know why? Alfred Plummer, in his book, writes this. I found it interesting. The sealing of the tomb and the posting of the guard make sure that no one stole the body would prove to be strong evidence that the missing body of Jesus on the third day means he had been resurrected from the dead. Now, he goes on to write this. I found it very interesting. He says, isn't it amazing that the disciples... Everybody say, disciples they hadn't remembered that jesus had promised that he would be raised on the dead and they hadn't remembered that he would be rose right he would rise on the third day but the chief priests and the pharisees understood and remembered and were determined that no apparent fulfillment in such predictions would be accomplished by the disciples that blew my mind why cuz i was thinking about this i was thinking about this right the religious people who did not like jesus the religious people who were were all about crucify him, crucify him, they remembered. And so they go to Pilate and say, Hey, hey, he said he was going to rise on the third day. He said he was going to rise. Let's secure that thing. But where are the disciples? The disciples are listen, the disciples, bless their heart, are preparing for him to be in the tomb. And I don't know. Think about this. Think about this. Were they going? We were due. I don't understand. Jesus said, or or did they not hear? I mean, I just I don't I don't I'm trying to put myself in their sandals and go, man, what would I do? What would I do in that situation? I'm gonna rise in three days. Yeah, Jesus, everybody's gonna rise. Amen. Hallelujah. But or did they really hear it? Are they talking now amongst themselves? And they say, Hey Paul, did you do you remember when he said he was gonna rise? Do you think that's true? I don't know, bro. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe, but listen, man, life, listen, life still happens. I know, I know Jesus is dead, but who are we gonna follow? Matthew, who's gonna lead us now? I don't know. Do we go back to fishing? Do we go back to our jobs? What do we do? And it was, it was the religious people who go, remember what he said? Guys, as believers, here's the hope. We have to remember what Jesus said and stand on those promises. We have to remember because the world's looking at us and the religious people are looking at you, sister, and they're going, what does the Bible say? And, 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 and the world's giving us Bible quotes and we're like, oh yeah, the Bible does say that, huh? Why am I freaking out? Why am I freaking out? I don't know we need to be the ones that go, no, these are the promises of God. I'm going to stand on the promises of God. He said he's going to resurrect. I believe he's going to resurrect. He said he's going to do this. I believe he's going to, this is the promise for me. I'm going to claim that promise. But we don't church. We don't. We're like the disciples. The devil wants to have us run in fear and hide. What are they going to do to us? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The world might persecute you. Your job might persecute you, might call you a Jesus freak. Might, you might get fired for being a believer. You ever get fired from being a believer? You ever get fired from really being a disciple of Jesus? We walk out of there and we go, Oh my, what do I do now? My family's going to starve. My family, oh goodness gracious. Um, how much do I have in savings? Let me see. Okay. I can't believe it. Maybe I should have just kept my mouth shut. Maybe I shouldn't have read my Bible in my break. I don't know what to do. And we never go, God has something. We're just patient. We're just patient. We go, okay, God, I trust you. I trust you. I'm scared, Lord, but I trust you. Your promises are yes and amen. And promises, okay, okay. We need to trust the Lord. We need to trust the Lord. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. We came out here to plant the church, right? And and man, I was working at, I was working at as a manager and I was working, gosh ungodly hours, I couldn't, I mean, I barely had time to study, we were doing a Wednesday, we were doing a Sunday, and I'm working a lot, and I remember calling my board, and I remember calling pastors and saying, I don't know what to do, I didn't come out to Lubbock to work 80 hours a week, I don't know what to do, the church isn't big enough to support, I don't know what to do. A lot of them said, quit, trust God, get another job, God will provide, so I did, went to my boss, said, hey, listen, I came out here to plant the church, I've given you six, eight months, I'm ready to go, I'm going to go find something else, the guy said, okay, see ya." So I quit. I'm not working. Natalie's not working. Uh, I remember I put my resumes thinking I'd get a job the next week. One week went by. Two weeks went by. Three weeks, I'm starting to freak out. I am starting to freak out. I'm just like, I need a job. I'll take anything at this point. And I had somebody call me and say, You know what? While you're waiting, you should be worshiping. And I told them, You need to be quiet. You don't know what it's like. And I was just freaking out. Did God come through? Absolutely, He did. I just freaked out for nothing. And I wonder if God rubs, I'm, I'm sure God rubs his head over me like this. Oi. Again? Yes, Lord, it's me again. You know, because because a job came to me, the church started to grow. God had it all in, but I freaked out. You guys know what I'm talking about? And yet I'm thinking, we just need to we need to stand on the promises. We need to stand on the promises. Well, here's what I want to do, guys. I want to close our study this morning. And I want to prepare our hearts. You go, what's that? I want to give you this application, okay? What does the burial, okay, Ben? What does the burial of Jesus mean to us? That's the question. What does the burial? How does this, How is this so significant to us? Well, number one, it means that Jesus was dead when they placed him in the tomb, contrary to theories that would explain away the resurrection. We need to understand that everybody knows he died, right? Jesus died. It wasn't he wasn't in a coma. He wasn't just pretending. Let me see if I fall asleep right? He was dead. That's the one. That's, that's so significant. But what's more? What about me, Ben? What about me? Let's talk significance. Number one, its significance is seen in the fact that Paul names it as one of the three facts of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the good news which I preach to you, which you received, which you stand, By which you are also saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What's that? For I did deliver to you, first of all, that which I received, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Can I get an amen? Amen. And that he was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So what are the three components? That Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Guys, can we relate to that or what? And you go, what do you mean? Guys, think about this. In our own born-again conversion, as followed by new life, we follow the same principle. Why? Right? Well, first of all, we believe that Jesus died. We go, yes, we believe. We believe that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. We've walked where Jesus walked, outside of, his, of Peter's house in Capernaum. The tour guide was going through and saying this and this and this pottery and this pottery, and I kind of backed up, and and I sat by a tree. There's a little bench under a tree, and I could see Peter's house, like, from here to the front door, and I wondered, I wonder if my Jesus sat under this tree as he prayed. And I was so impactful because I was like, He's, I believe that. I believe. In my own born-again experience, I believe. Do you believe? The second thing is in our, in our own conversion you need to understand the significance is guys you were buried with him you were buried with him you go what does that mean guys think about it your old life your old life is in the grave don't let it haunt you don't let it come back when you died you buried with it man listen you're not going around and going hey let me dig up this old dude let's see what his life it's not about once you go in the grave that's it Your old life is gone. And so many people struggle with what they didn't do or how they messed up or what, I mean, just like the little kid, man, hey, you did this. Oh, and he keeps doing it. And Jesus said, no, 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 you're a mess up. And we look at our plates, guys, and we go, it's just bread and water. And Jesus says, no, 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 I have more for you, watch. And he took our place. He took our place. If I could just encourage you this morning, that should be enough, guys, for the rest of the week to just smile and know, okay, God, I know life is hard. I know sometimes it could be a bummer. I know sometimes I could be stressed out. But the joy that I have in knowing that you took my place and that my past is gone. I'm not defined by my past. It's in the grave. It's in the grave. But then something else happens. You go, what's that? Like Jesus, we're raised, guys, we're raised to a new life. We're raised to a new life. You'll be resurrected, if you will. Number two, Paul tells us that not only are we baptized into Christ's death, but that our baptism, we're also buried with Him in baptism. We're going to talk about that next week, but let me just give you the Scripture reference. Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4, Paul says, or Do you not know that as many of you were baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore, you were buried with Him through baptism unto death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so, we should also walk in the newness of life, in the newness of life. As a matter of fact, the way he says it is that, guys, you were, you're identified with Christ. You were baptized into his death. And if you were baptized into his death, you're going to rise to new life. And he says this to me and you. Listen, we should walk in the newness of life, in the newness of life. Last but not least, guys, you ready? The death and the burial, as well as his resurrection of Jesus, changes the faith, face of death for his people. Why? Because death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put the truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. You can nail it to a cross, wrap it up in, in windling sheets, and shut it up in a tomb, but it will rise. Here's what I love about it. You want to know what the significance of the burial is, guys? Think about it. It changes the face of death forever. You no longer have to be afraid. You no longer have to. You can, put, you can stake a claim on that, man. You no longer are afraid of death. It changes. It changes. It changes. The death and the burial and the resurrection, guys, you ready? It gives my life meaning. It gives my lives meaning. Isn't that what we really want? So many people go, why am I born? Why was I even put on this earth? Guys, the death, burial, and resurrection gives my life meaning and direction. And here's what I love. You ready? Ready? It gives us an opportunity to start over no matter what your circumstances are. Why is this of so significance? Because we're not down. We're not out. We're just beginning. We're just beginning. I'm just like, wow. I found out yesterday, young man we've been praying for, for the last three years, finally came to know Christ. And like Jonah, he was running from God. He was running, he was running, he was running. And yesterday, God got him. And I said to this young man, all you're required to do is love Jesus. Don't worry about rules. Don't worry about anything. Just love Jesus. And I said, no matter what, listen to me. No matter what, we'll be together in heaven. In heaven. That was the best news of the day. Right now, my Jesus is in the grave, but he isn't going to stay there, is he? And he go, well, Ben, why are you, why are you giving me, why are you telling me every week about the burial? Because, because if I were to show you a diamond, a beautiful diamond. I'd want to put it behind a very dark black velvet piece of cloth so that the diamond sparkles. You guys know what I'm talking about? You go looking, at, you go looking for, for diamonds, they take this dark cloth, black velvet, and then they put the diamond, and what does that diamond do? Ooh, it sparkles, doesn't it? I want to paint this in a way so that the resurrection is that diamond, and you're like, oh, I get it, I get it. I understand, Joseph. I understand Nicodemus. I understand what it means to me. Oh, my goodness, it's changed my life. Next week, I understand baptism. And I'm looking forward to the resurrection. See, guys, it's more than just Easter. Oh, we, got, we have Easter baskets, and we have brand-new clothes, and wonderful, and somebody makes a great meal, and we partake, and we fellowship. All that is wonderful, but it's nothing compared to what it really means to us. It's that diamond, it's that diamond, it's that diamond. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Hey, do me a favor. If the message has touched your heart, find somebody. Say, hey, you got to come with me next week. You got to come with me. You got to come. I'll pick you up. Tell me you'll buy them breakfast. And then bring them to church first. Oh, we have to make one stop first and then come over here. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for the burial, Lord. Lord, I pray that, that you spoke to our hearts today. And then we've made decisions to say lord i trust you i trust in your promises i trust in who you are we love you lord it's in your name we pray amen, amen.
0: hey this is pastor josh i hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with jesus If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227.